Business Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. With deadlines in early January quickly approaching, college application season's now in full swing. That means students are pulling together recommendation letters, writing personal essays, and figuring out where they want to apply. Now, it's always a stressful time, but for students of color and first-generation college students, this year is especially tough. It's the first application cycle since the Supreme Court ruled against race-conscious admissions. Meanwhile, FAFSA, which is the application for federal student loans, it's getting an overhaul and likely won't be available until late December. So there's a lot going on. And here in studio to answer your questions and talk through this year's admission cycle are WBEZ higher education reporter Lisa Phillip and Jeff Beckham, who's CEO of Chicago Scholars, a mentorship program for students applying to college. Lisa and Jeff, welcome. Welcome. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thanks for being here. Busy time, huh, Lisa? Yes. <laughs> uh, busy, busy time for students as well as their families. Why don't you give us the broad strokes of what these folks are going through right now? Yeah. So college application season, I'm sure, you know, for anyone who's gone through that in the ah, past, it's I remember. not fun. It's not fun, not right? Not fun at all. <laughs> and so I think there's that already in existence, right? There's a lot of anxiety and stress over what do I write my essay about? Um, am I going to get the money I need to be able to go to college? And then for students who are aware of the ruling, there's this message there that the cards are even more stacked against them. Like these students that already don't have privilege in this process are facing even more hurdles potentially into just being able to go to college. Um, and and so I think there's that. And then also, you know, I've heard individually from students like, do I write about whether what kind of student I am? Do I write about my race in my essay? Like mm-hmm. kind of weighing these these. That's the big question. Yeah. How this, much like, do I divulge? Yeah, right. This weird calculus essays. of like playing this game and trying to increase your chances in this kind of environment. What's the mood among the students and parents that you work with, Jeffrey, with uh, Chicago Scholars? Yeah, I would say definitely one of uh, anxiousness and apprehension to the process. Um, you know, like you shared, there's so many aspects of the process that's already challenging for young people. And then you add in this air of uncertainty. Uh, you mentioned the FOSFA, right? Right now, typically many of our young people have already gotten into their schools and they've gotten some merit aid from the universities, but those packages aren't complete without the FOSFA completion and knowing what other federal student aid may be available to you. And with it being delayed, with no determination of date of when it's actually going to go live, we were told mm-hmm. December, parents are also worried about what do we do come tax time with our returns? What do we do with regard to thinking about right, saving, up too. buying items for the spring, all of the kind of hidden cost of college that goes with going to school. So there's a lot of anxiety. Students, too, as well, are feeling that and have shared you know, some of the things, whether it's honestly real or perceived, the idea that schools that they wanted to apply to, especially the most selective institutions, are ones that no longer want them. So yeah. we have to encourage them through all of that. Wow. Now, as we've talked about, students of color in particular, they're facing a lot of uncertainty as they apply for, for colleges. And this is all, you know, really ever since the Supreme Court ruled against race-conscious uh, admissions. So just take us back a little bit, Lisa, and just kind of remind us of the details there of that ruling yeah, and of and more of the effect that it's having, of course, on the kids. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a complicated one and uh, hard on some levels to understand. But basically what the court decided was that schools could not consider a student's race um, when making their admissions decision. And before the ruling came down, basically colleges were 
allowed to consider it as kind of like, you know, a box that students checked um, in a tie in a tiebreaker sense, basically, like you're weighing all these different factors that a student brings to a table. And if you have two students that are both equally qualified and have like amazing academic credentials um you might use race as a tiebreaker between those students but now even that possibility is gone so the the one thing that the court sort of left the door open to is considering a student's essay like a a student can still write about their race and their essay so that is still an avenue in which um you know, uh, an admissions, someone who's making an admissions decision could potentially consider a student's race. I see. You mentioned a moment ago, Jeff, about, you know, hearing students say things like, it feels like this school doesn't want me. Talk more about that and, and how that makes you feel as a mentor. I mean, at Chicago Scholars, we work with, you know, over four to 5,000 first generation and or low income students uh, who are the first in their families often to go to college. So if you're first in the family, that comes with a lot, um, a lot of responsibility and oftentimes a lot of imposter syndrome for young people walking through the doors of the universities they're walking into. And so when you already have that as a hurdle to overcome and then you see this ruling. And one of the things that we know about our young people at Chicago Scholars is that they are keenly aware and very civically engaged and minded with what's happening uh, in the city and in the country. Mm-hmm. They see this ruling and they think, well, these universities that had a spot, an uh, area crafted that they assured that there were going to be equity and the opportunity and a process to be part mm-hmm. of a college class no longer, or they're no longer taking that step. And what so, are some of the things that let you know that they were so keenly aware? Like, was there a lot of chatter as we were awaiting that? Remember that time when we were awaiting June and awaiting the ruling? Yeah. A my, lot of conversation. My amazing team put together a town hall with both our college partners and admissions counselors and our students to discuss it. And I walked into the room of our multi-purpose room that normally will house on a given night 100-plus students over seven days in the start of a month. And on the wall, it was anxious, uncertain, unknown, fearful. Those were the adjectives described. And what we wanted to do in that time was create space so our young people could have supportive adults around them. They get mentors to our program. They have college counselors in our program. And those people were there to really surround them and wrap them with support. Um, you were part of our on-site college and admissions forum right. this just year. A couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, our 16th one, and at that event we had you know 600 plus students from the city, 140 college partners there to give out 40 plus million in merit aid on one day, and that's only with half the schools reporting back. And in that space and in that room, the college partners were very diligent about letting students know we want you, we want you here, we want you part of our university. Mm. What are you hearing from? High school seniors, I know you're talking to them as well. Lisa, yeah, yeah. So, getting ready to apply. Yeah, some of them, um, like Jeff mentioned, are some of the students I've spoken to are very much aware of the ruling, and it's sort of made them think about where they're applying to. And, you know, I've been shadowing a, a counselor at a high school, a college counselor, and he's definitely factoring it into how he's advising he stu- the students. He's looking at how a college responded after the ruling came down. Did they, you know, send out a message? What are, are they sending recruiters to his high school and trying to make some sort of effort to reach out to disadvantaged students like students of color and low-income students and mm-hmm. first-generation students? So I think that's very much on his mind. But students, then there are a lot of students who aren't aware of the ruling, right? But it's still 
such an anxiety-ridden process, especially if you yourself don't have parents who went through this process, right? And like, you're something I've heard over and over from seniors is like, "Am I going to be able to afford that?" I really think that's the, one of the that's you know, the next hurdle. Yeah, the yeah. number one factors in this whole process is like, okay, maybe I'll get into a few places, but is this something I'm going to be able to do? Do I have the money to cover it? Yeah. I mean, and what is that window anyway that they give you once you do get accepted to then have to pay like your first installment of fees? Not a ton of time. It's not a ton of time. And it also varies. And it's very much in the air because of the new FAFSA, well, the FAFSA timeline that we're facing this year. Right. Yeah. Let's dig more into this this FAFSA form, Lisa, and the changes there. Because more than 85% of undergrads in this country receive some form of financial aid, right? This is according to the National Center for Education Statistics. This year, though, a change is coming to the form. You've had to fill it out. Is that right, Lisa? In the past, I mean, when I was a student, yeah. So, so it, you already know it was oh, overwhelming yeah. to begin with. Oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Jeff's also nodding. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, I think anyone who's had to fill it out know it is a mess, right? And it is very burdensome for students, especially those who maybe don't have an organization like Chicago Scholars behind them to help guide them through the process or like a really hands-on counselor. Um, So basically, the education department has tried to simplify it. They're in the process of doing this right now and taking the number of questions down from, I think, like 100 plus to 20, potentially, depending on your, you know, various circumstances. The problem with that, the hitch, is that they've now, it usually comes out in, in early fall in October, and now the department is saying, we don't have it ready, it We'll hope it will. I shouldn't say hopefully it will be out by December 31st. And I believe that's legislatively required. But the thing is, December 31st, that is when students are are out on winter break. You know, yeah, you're getting you're They're not thinking about this at all. They're not thinking about this. They don't have access to their counselors or other teachers that maybe could help them through this. So that cuts down on some of their time. It also um, gives schools less time to put their financial aid packages together so then their timeline to get these packages out to students is pushed back right and then students ultimately have less time to decide between schools yeah what are you seeing from from your space how fafsa and its changes are affecting the students yeah i mean first of all it's, it's definitely rattled some cages i was at loyola university maybe a month or so ago and, you know, the schools are trying to triage and, like, get ready so that the minute the FOSFA is done, students apply, they can start to create those packages so young people have time to make their decisions. Uh, it has impacted many. I have a nephew right now who is in this process, and the conversation is, you know, Uncle, I love this school, but I don't think I can afford it. And I keep telling them, hold on, you haven't seen the full package yet. Like, there's more to come. There's also usually time in between there where a student can actually, and I don't know if many parents know this, you can actually – um, you know, go to the school and contest your financial aid package. You can actually write a letter to ask for more money. Mm. You're shortening in that window tremendously from, you know, October 1 to typically the spring, early winter, late winter, early spring, you'd have to do that to a matter of a few weeks to a month. From what you've those. seen, do folks usually end up successful when they when they challenge? Absolutely. I mean, and especially if there's like, uh, you know, extenuating circumstances. One time in COVID, unfortunately, we had a parent uh, pass away. And a student's family lost half their income. The previous financial aid package was based on a two-parent household. The father was significantly successful in terms of providing income to the family. Mm -hmm. That went away. So you're talking like adjusted gross income dropping 75% for a family. Well, 
they wrote, they were able to contest. The student got into a very selective institution and got a really nice offer as compared to what they had before. Mm -hmm. But that's not the only reason to write. Sometimes you can write and advocate on your own behalf just on the merit of your academic performance, the things you're doing, and push the school. And many schools do have a set aside of funds. It's very similar to how, you know, corporates look at, you know, merit pools. There's a certain amount of money, certain number of people they want to bring into the institution, and they yeah. divide it up based on different measures in an index. And so with young people, you know, writing in and advocating on their own behalf, there's, there's ways to find more money. Oh, my goodness. I'm thinking of immigrant families, too, Lisa. I mean, yeah. tell us more about why a student or family might be scared filling out FAFSA in the first place. Yeah, I mean, just the the sheer fact that you're sharing information. A lot of federal, information. Yep, a yeah. lot of information with the federal government. Um, I think that causes a lot of families to hesitate to fill out the FAFSA in the first place, which is goes back to some of the issues with releasing the FAFSA so late is some of the counselors I've heard from just need time to build that trust with students and, and their families and explain to them that this is something they can do without fear um, and without fear of, you know, having their um, immigration status questioned. Um, and, and then also those students need extra support in just filling out the form itself because it's more complicated. And and I think that goes for both mixed status immigra- immigration status families, but also other students like the one that Jeff man- mentioned who have these complicated life circumstances. Yeah. Right. Like That's I. Tough. Yeah. I heard when I was at That's not something school, to prepare for either. Right. When I was at a high school a couple of weeks ago, um, a lot of the counselor I have been shadowing was talking to students about getting just their their um, federal student aid portal login set up and students had so many questions about their different circumstances from um, my father passed away and therefore my income's you know been affected by that how do I account for that on my form to yeah like my my family's immigration status is is complicated Mm -hmm. so I think again cutting down on that time that counselors have to work with students is going to it's going to be really tough. Not necessarily a good thing there. And and speaking of counselors, Jeff, I heard you had a student who struggled to access their own school counselor. Yeah, I mean, this isn't abnormal, right? School counselors are drastically overworked. We have a shortage of teachers, a shortage of social workers, a shortage of school counselors. Every year we look to hire 25 in our organization as part time counselors, and it is always exceptionally difficult. And so if you think of a typical class, a student in CPS may get an hour with their college counselor in terms of total time. Mm -hmm. Imagine trying to do the application, get your essay reviewed, answer any of the ancillary questions around how to do it, and then do financial aid in an hour of total time. That's not counting time that the parent may need to spend or the counselor may need to spend with the parent to convince them to let their student travel outside of the state or outside of the city. I can't believe that's happening in senior year. I mean, I, I have a sophomore and a junior who sort of complain about the same thing, just not having access uh, to their counsel. I, I've had yeah. to intervene at times and send email. Like, I know each of their counselors' name, first and last names and emails by heart now because I've had to be the one to reach out and try to intervene because they don't get time with right. them. For yeah. a couple of months, my sophomore was like, I don't even know who my counselor is. And they have a mother that advocates on their behalf. Right, right. So many of the young people, especially first-gen and low-income, may have that, but mom is also working two or three jobs, or dad's not there. It it is 
a myriad of different circumstances that students face. And a lot of our young people have had to do this on their own. That's why organizations like Chicago Scholars exist, because we're here to be the hand to guide students through. And our organization provides 15 to 16 hours of college counseling on top of what they get to supplement and support our schools. The most recent data that we have show that more than half of people pursuing higher education are first-generation college students, meaning their parents don't have bachelor's degrees. So uh, what kind of resources do first-gen students need? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of everything you can yeah. imagine from the, 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 the motivation to get started, the support to make it through, the support to then arrive on college campuses on time. On time, matriculation is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And then support to persist. That's just the kind of the, the soft skill component of it. Then there's the like the hard like dollars, access to scholarships, mm-hmm. resources on campus. So we have relationships with our college partners, with people and individuals on campuses who will actually support and be there to help our students when they face the hurdle of, I might be lonely when I step foot on campus. Or... I don't know how to apply for an internship, but I know I need one in my particular career field to get the job that I need. Or I want to change majors. How many of us, I changed majors three times at Missouri. Like I was a journalism major at one point. What happened? It's the the best. I I switched to engineering and and did that for a while, right? We could have used you. you I I love it. Maybe we'll have to come back. No, but it's those things that like students need that are like the tactical and domain parts of the knowledge that they don't get. They don't have, and and that's where you know we step in to fill in the gap. One of the you saw on site since two thousand seven, that event has now helped over ten thousand students from Chicago help and access the most highly Incredible. selective institutions, and it's generated merited more than seven hundred million dollars in merit aid. Yeah. And we're one cog in this wheel. It's not, we're not doing this alone. There's exactly. amazing orgs here. But what about other cities that don't have Chicago scholars? And we're almost out of time, Lisa, but for first-gen students, there's something else called direct admissions. Yeah, too, right? yeah. So that's a kind of new, relatively new idea that's gaining some traction in other states like Idaho, where basically colleges are admitting students without them even applying, just based on data that the state has, for example, GPA and test scores. So rather than putting that burden on the student to apply and go through all of that rigmarole that we all know is super stressful, students are getting admissions letters without them even applying. It's like this idea that college should really just be an extension of your K-12 experience, right, instead Mm -hmm. of a privilege reserved for a few. Well, we've been talking with WBEZ higher education reporter Lisa Phillip and Jeff Beckham, who's CEO of Chicago Scholars, a post-secondary mentoring program. We've been discussing this year's college admissions cycle and how to break down barriers to applying. Thank you both so much for your time. Thank Thank you. you, Sasha.